The life of General Belisarius, Totila, captures Rome. At the time when Bessius had withheld the required assistance from Belisarius, he had probably expected that a capitulation might always, at his pleasure, end the siege and secure his riches. By just retribution, the treachery of some of his soldiers baffled the selfish policy. Engrossed by his thirst for gold, he had neglected the discipline of the garrison. The nightly rounds on the walls were discontinued, and four Assyrian sentinels availed themselves of the slumber of their comrades and the absence of their chiefs to reach the hostile encampment unperceived. Their offer of opening a gate to the barbarians was received with suspicion or indifference. Three times they found it necessary to renew their proposal to Totila. The third place was inspected by his officers before he would consent to hazard the experiment. By such delay, the rumor of their project spread amongst the Gothic army, and some captives taken by the, by the Byzantines in a sally spoke of this conspiracy to Bessius, but the useful warning was despised. At length, on the night of December the 17th, 546 A.D., at precisely ten years since Rome had first yielded to Belisarius, the treacherous Assyrians assisted four Gothic soldiers in scaling the walls, by their united labor, the Assyrian gate was hewed down, and the troops of Totila marched into the city. A prudent fear of ambush induced them to wait in close and compact order the break of day, but the Byzantine garrison attempted no further resistance and escaped to the opposite side. Some Gothic officers pressed Totila to intercept their retreat. What event, replied the monarch, can be more welcome than the flight of an enemy? Many of the patricians who were still provided with horses followed Bessius from Rome, and the remainder took refuge at St. Peter's Shrine. The number of citizens must no doubt have been considerably thinned by the calamities of the siege, as well as by many cases of voluntary exile it occasioned. No sooner were the Goths in full and secure possession of the city than their monarch hastened to offer the thanksgiving at the church of St. Peter. But during his devotions, 26 Byzantine soldiers and 60 Roman citizens were killed by his attendants in the porch. Totila was received by Pelagius, who stretched forth the Gospels in his hand, besought the conquer to spare him. Now at length, Pelagius, you appear before me as a suppliant, said Totila with a scornful smile. I am a suppliant, replied the archdeacon. God made us your subjects, and as such we expect your mercy and forbearance. In compliance with his earnest entreaties, no further bloodshed was allowed, and the wives and daughters of the citizens were saved from the violence of the soldiers, who, on the other hand, obtained an unbounded permission to pillage as soon as the most precious effects had been reserved for the share of their sovereign. Large treasures were still found amassed in patrician palaces and the coffers of Bessius, filled by so much cruel and rapine, now served to enrich his enemies. Through the spoliation of the Goths, many of the most illustrious senatorial families were driven into utter ruin, were compelled at the meanest garb to wander from house to house, imploring often unsuccessfully a morsel of bread, and the noble birth or hereditary opulence afforded them only an additional plea for pity. Among them might be observed Rusticana, the daughter of Symmachus, the widow of Boethius, whose income had been bountifully lavished on the poor, and who was now reduced to solicit that same charity which she had so often bestowed. Her death was loudly called for by the barbarians, who accused her of having overthrown the statues of the great Theodoric, but she was protected by the seasonable and generous interposition of Totila. 
On the ensuing day, he admonished his troops in a public harangue to strengthen and uphold by moderation the conquests of which their valor had gained. Yet the king appeared strangely deficient in the virtue which he recommended when immediately afterwards he convened the Roman Senate and addressed that assembly, says Procopius, as an angry master might revile his slave. He extolled the paternal reign of Theodoric, decanted on the ingratitude of which the Roman nobles had requited it, and urged them to declare what benefits their treachery had purchased from Justinian. Have not you, he said, quote, been stripped of your rights and your privileges? Have not rapacious accountants insulted you with forged and fraudulent demands? Have not oppressive taxes been claimed with equally unsparing rigor in peace and war? To you I am not indebted even to the smallest spot on the desert ground. But these men, and here he pointed to the four Assyrian sentinels and to Herodian who stood beside him, these men have admitted me into Spoleto and Rome. You therefore shall in future be regarded as the vilest of my slaves, and they, the friends and allies of the Goths, shall enjoy the dignities and honors which at present you are unworthily possessing. End of quote. The senators, terrified and downcast, heard these upbraidings in silence and didn't venture to plead for themselves. But the eloquence of Pelagius was again exerted over the stern barbarian and wrung from him, if not a pardon, at least a reprieve. The never-tiring archdeacon then set out by desire of Totila on an embassy to the Byzantine court having first pledged himself by the most solemn oath to return as soon as possible and to execute his commission with good faith. He was the bearer of proposals of peace and alliance on the same terms as had formerly been subsisted between Theodoric and Anastasius, and in the cases of the refusal of the Gothic monarch threatened to invade the empire through Illyria, after putting the whole senate to the sword and raising the western capital to the ground. On the arrival of Pelagius at Constantinople and the delivering of the letter entrusted to his care, Justinian's only reply was that he had given Belisarius an uncontrolled direction of the war and the power of concluding peace whenever it might appear advantageous to the public interest. To him, therefore, the emperor referred the question. But before Pelagius could convene an answer, the conditional menace of subverting Rome had nearly been accomplished. Provoked by the successes of John the Sanguinary in southern Italy, Totila resolved to march against him, first wrecking a fearful vengeance on Rome, which had dared for so many months to withstand and detain his arms. Different parts of the walls, amounting altogether to one-third of its circumference, had already been overthrown by his orders, and several private dwellings had been burned. But now a fierce decree was issued place that the birthplace of the empire should be leveled to a sheep's walk. Accordingly, the Goths were preparing to consume by fire, or by violence, the most precious edifices of antiquity. When Belisarius, having been apprised of this mischievous design, dispatched to his antagonist a letter, which his secretary has actually preserved, quote, the most mighty heroes and wisest statesmen have always considered it their pride to adorn a city with new and stately buildings, while on the other hand, to destroy those which already exist has been reserved for the dull ferocity of savages, careless of the sentence which posterity will pass upon them. Of all the cities which the sun beholds in its course, none can vie with Rome in size, splendor, and renown. It has not been reared by the genius of one man, by the labor of a single age. The august assembly of the Roman Senate and the long train of munificent emperors have, by the progress and accumulated toils of the centuries, and by the most lavish expenditures of wealth, brought this capital to its present high and acknowledged preeminence. 
Every foreign country has furnished architects for its constructions, artists for its ornamentation, and the slow result of their joint exertions has bequeathed to us the noblest monument of ancient glory, a blow aimed at these venerable fabrics will resound equally through past and future ages. It will rob the illustrious dead of the trophies of their fame. It will rob unborn generations of the proud and cheering prospect which these trophies would have afforded them. Consider also that one of two events must need to occur. You will in this war either obtain a final victory over the imperial forces or yourself be subdued. Should your cause prevail, you would by the havoc overthrow not a hostile city, but your own, while your present forbearance would preserve for you the first and fairest possession of your crown. If, on the contrary, fortune should declare against you, your mercy to Rome will be rewarded by the mercy of the conqueror to you. But none can be expected from Justinian after the desolation of this ancient capital. What benefit, therefore, in any case accrue to you from so barbarous an outrage? All mankind have now their eyes turned towards you. Your fame is in the balance and will incline to one scale or the other. According to your conduct on this decisive occasion, for such are the deeds of princes, such will be their character in history. End of quote. After long reflection and repeated perusals of this letter, Totila yielded to its arguments and dismissed the envoys of Delisarius with the promise of forbearance, which from this time forward he faithfully observed. So a letter saves Rome, so to speak. Now, the sources for this, the Wars of Justinian by Procopius, the short history of Byzantium by Norwich, Byzantine Art of War by Decker, Byzantine Early Centuries by Norwich, and the Life of Belisarius by Mahome. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.